friends, we often say this, but do we understand the reality that we are really connected as God's body on the planet Earth? And that and that connection, it's not just by blood, but it is by faith and trust, which makes it more powerful. And this morning, we're going to hear from a brother and his family, by the way, because remember, family is one of the few institutions that got through the fall and the flood, right? That didn't work. But I want to introduce Justin to you. And um, not only is Justin going to tell us what the Lord is doing in the life of he and his family, but he's going to tell us where the Lord's calling him. And let me tell you right now, before we give too much away, it's a dark place that he's been called. It's a dangerous place that he's been called. And when you find out where, you might be surprised. But Justin, would you come up and introduce us to your family? Justin is a pastor at the um, Ambassador Bible Church in Chantilly. And the Lord has laid on his heart a mission and a purpose. And we want to hear about that so we can prayerfully consider supporting that purpose. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. As uh, Mr. Carter mentioned, my name is Justin Culbertson, and um, we are so happy and excited to be here with you. We're happy those of you that are online, that they're with us as well in spirit, and uh, they're joining us. I want to invite my wife and our youngest uh, son up. His name is Teddy. Teddy, uh, not Roosevelt, but that is who he's named after. Um, So this is my wife, Amanda. If you want to say hi. Hi, good morning. Um, we have a couple pictures that we'd like to share with you, and you should be able to see them on the screens here. And um, so we're going to kind of go back and forth a little bit depending on the picture, and we're going to talk a little bit about what God has called us to do. This first picture, um, <clears throat> it's, it's a picture of my wife and I four years ago in London in May of 20, 2019. And this was not the beginning of our journey of God laying a place like London on our hearts. This was very much in the middle of our journey. So we're talking many years now that God has been working and chipping away at our hearts to say, I'm calling you to something new and different. I'm calling you to something new and different. I'm calling you to something new and different. Just a few months before this trip, we were at an EFCA conference, a theology conference, which Pastor John was at as well. I remember uh, we spent some time together at that conference. And uh, so at that conference... I I ended up talking with the uh, EFCA director for Europe. And the only reason I would have talked to this person was it was a complete leading of the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you. I don't just go up to random strangers and introduce myself usually and, and say, I know what you do and I would like to talk about that. This is a Holy Spirit opportunity where God's just laid it on my heart to say, you need to go talk to this guy. And so I went up to this, this gentleman named Todd Hiltebrand who was introduced just a few minutes before I said, hi, Todd. My name's Justin. I'm a pastor in Virginia. And um, my wife and I have been talking and considering and praying what it looks like to do ministry in the UK. And he, and he got, his eyes got big and he got so excited. And uh, he told us all these different things. He gave me all the contact info of different people that he knew in England because he lives in Europe as well. And that is really where it all got started. Um, that was really where the ball got rolling. And a few months later, we ended up, as we saw in that first picture, we ended up in London having a fantastic time. We went to church in uh, Oxford, and we walked through Oxford University on, on our way to church. Uh, the, uh, the beautiful old ivy and the old stone buildings. And we got to church, and it was 15 people. <laughs> and, but it was, it was the most authentic and beautiful worship of a group of 15 people we'd ever been in. And we felt 
uh, both encouraged and discouraged because we felt like that the, that the good news of the gospel should be uh, worship, not worship, but it should be uh, expressed by so many more people in a place like England and with churches all around and uh, scripture written on walls everywhere, but it's such a dark and um, unchristian place. So what's our next number two? That's number seven. So I'm going to go to number two if that's possible. Yes. Um, no, number two should be the, uh, a group of people lined up next to each other. So, yes, perfect, thank you. So, my wife, my wife Amanda is going to tell us a little bit about the team. Yeah, so currently in London, there are eight adults serving with um, the EFCA arm of missions, which is called Reach Global. So, this is the Reach London team. And when, usually when we think of missionaries, we think of, like, doing, like, hands and feet projects, right? But, like, these are people who are just living in the city, doing regular jobs, helping people in whatever way they can. So one guy's a worship pastor, somebody else works in the West End, which is like Broadway. Somebody else works with, you know, video and tech services, and then there's, you know, Muslim ministry, American football. They're all just different things that God has really placed special skills in their life, and they're able to use those skills abroad serving in London. And so when we talked to um, Matt Davis, who's the guy in the Dunder Mifflin blue shirt first, he's the city team leader, everything that he was saying that we would probably be able to do in London just really lined up with skill sets that we already have and the callings that God has placed on our heart. So we got to actually go over and meet all of these people in September. We took at the time, our three boys, and this is number four. Um, and so we took all of them, and we spent 10 days in London just walking around, praying for the city, seeing where we could also fit in with this team and what other skill sets we could bring to it. And God just abundantly made it clear that like, we're supposed to be in London and that we can add so much to this team that's already doing such good work there. Yeah, if, if we stay on that picture for a moment, um, all the way to the left, his name is Mark, and Mark had zero desire to ever move out of Ohio, let alone the United States. But God had placed a call on his, his life along with his wife, Megan. His wife, Megan, um, had, had uh, committed to be a missionary, I think when she said she was six years old. Mark is an American football coach in London. And you say, they don't play American football in England, they play soccer. That's true, they do play soccer. But just like... Um, like sports, soccer becoming big here, American football is growing in a place like London. So Mark is actually the wide receiver coach for Team Great Britain in the European Championships. He's, he's uh, found a pathway to make an impact with coaches, players, and families through coaching. In addition to that, they, they each spend about 25 hours a week at a church in London. So that's just one example of what God is doing in the team. And that leads a little bit into our next, which is the, the players huddling and praying together on the field. Should be, should be there, yes. So um, one of the efforts that we're going to be leaning into is chaplaincy. And so what uh, God has called me to do in pastoral ministry is to love, serve, and lead people and point them to Christ in all things. And so what will, one opportunity is to be a chaplain. Matt Davis is actually the chaplain kneeling in this picture right here with his rugby team. He is the chaplain of the London Broncos professional rugby team, who are uh, the, only, the only rugby team in London. And Matt has been with them for seven years. And he has, uh, he's worked with 
players who are having marital problems, who are having uh, hard discussions with their families and their wives. He has helped players dealing with gambling and alcohol addiction. He has uh, worked with players who are 20 years old and have never handled a checkbook or handled a checking account in their life. And he's been able to pastor them and lead them in life while in every situation pointing them to Jesus pointing them to the Word, pointing them to Jesus in every single way. So what I'll be able to do is to join this same organization, Lord willing, with Matt, and I'll be assigned to my own opportunity with a professional sports team, whether that's soccer, whether it's basketball or any, any kind of sport. It even could be cricket. I could wear beautiful white sweaters all the time. Uh, I, I hope it isn't cricket because their matches take three days. <laughs> but uh, we're very excited about the opportunity that chaplaincy provides. So we'd like to go to the next um, picture as well. Teddy has a lot to say, as I'm sure you can tell. So we want whatever our next picture is, we'll go with that. And this speaks to the need. I'd love for, to have Amanda share a little bit about the need of what's going on in the UK and specifically in London. So when you think about England, I'm sure one of your first thoughts is Church of England or you know, how religion has really shaped their country. Maybe it's some of the famous missionaries that... London or England has sent across the world but now as Europe has kind of become this like post-Christian nation only six percent of people in the UK identify as practicing Christians which seems wild right like religion and Christianity split the monarchy at one point and yet so few people actually practice you know a relationship with Jesus now um and another staggering statistic is that only 53% of people in the UK even know a practicing Christian. So more people go to mosques and temples on Sunday mornings in London than they do church, which is wild to think about when there's so many beautiful churches just like this one in London that are empty or don't have you know, growth. They're losing members. They're aging out. So there's such a good need of just being a Christian in London. Like, just being a Christian on the street, whether you're saying hi to your neighbor or you're dropping your kids off at school, whether you're shopping and just showing people that you can be lovely and joyful and where that joy comes from, um, and that comes from Christ. And so that's just one of the ministries that would be my basic ministry. I'm not going to be a sports chaplain or on staff or anything, but my ministry will be just loving people around me and loving them well and pointing them to Jesus. So as sports ministry is a part of what we do, of being in the community is a part of what we do, also uh, being in a local evangelical gospel-believing church is going to be vital. I, for, for many years, I thought I was going to be a church planter, where I would be the guy that be the entrepreneur and go start a place and plant a church, but God revealed to me very early on and very quickly, that is not your temperament, those are not your skills, that's not the, that's not the gifts that, that I've given you. And so... Um, what our church ministry opportunity in the UK is we get to come alongside small churches, very specifically church planters, pastors with small congregations who cannot afford staff members, where I can come alongside and say, hey, pastor, whatever you need, I'm your guy. Uh, hey, church in the area, three, four, five churches in our local neighborhood, what do you need? Because I can, I can help. I can, I've been sent. I am uh, here to do the work. I want to get my hands dirty. If you need help with preaching, I can help with that. If you need help with discipleship, teaching, you need uh, help with running a, what they don't call it VBS there. Does everybody know VBS, Vacation Bible School? There they call it Holiday Bible Club, which sounds so much more cool if you're a kid because it's not school. There's no school in there like VBS is. 
But, uh, hey, I can help run a, a holiday Bible club. Hey, do you need um, to... Do you need to have a week of coffee and tea? I love serving coffee and tea. I was a barista in college. If, if I just need to serve, if I need to make coffee and tea and serve everyone and make biscuits, and absolutely, I'm your guy. So the church ministry opportunity for us is still flux because uh, we don't know what church we'll begin with, but we hope where we can make an impact in multiple churches to help pastors because pastors, I don't know if you know this, they get pretty worn out. They, they're pretty busy people. They've got a lot on their plate and a lot on their mind. So what we are able to do is come and say, hey, pastors, what do you need? We're here to do that. Because we want not just to evangelize, which we do, but we were, we're there to make disciples. And we want to help pastors make disciples, and we want to be disciple makers. So that's a, a big part of it. And as, this uh, picture right here, the sports ministry picture, is from our Reach London team's Instagram. And so being on social media, this was an, a big thing that I sent this to my wife and said, I think this is just really up our alley. I was a high school baseball coach for a couple years. I was a high school football referee. I played uh, sports a lot in high school. I'm sports obsessed, just like most people in Britain are. And so we really feel like God's lined up our passions for the place. We love the people. We love God's word. And we love God's church. And so we are, we're so excited about um, where God is leading us in a place like London. And the, and the last picture we've already seen is that God loves London, and so do we. And this is a picture in the background of, um, why don't you head down because Teddy, <laughs> Teddy's freaking out. So thank you, Amanda. Um, this picture says God loves London. So this is a picture of St. Paul's Cathedral, one of the most iconic churches in England. But along with most cathedrals and churches in London on any given Sunday, it's empty apart from visitors. The average church in England does not have a single member, a single attender under the age of 16. The church in England um, has lost 58% of its attendance in the last five years. When we go through difficult times, church is typically where many people have turned. But what happened with our last difficult event? People couldn't get together. And so where did they turn? They turned to being discipled by their devices instead of being discipled by God's word. They were looking on their screens. They were in the, stuck in their homes. Their lockdowns were far more strict than anything we dealt with here in the United States. But God loves London. And God's sending us to London because he loves it and he loves us and he wants us to share in his calling. We're so excited about um, what God can do, but we know it's going to be difficult. We know it's going to be hard. We're bringing four little boys with us. We're moving them across the world to a new country. Thankfully, the same language. But they're, they're scared, just like we are. Because we're going to be those different, loud, bombastic Americans that they're so used to seeing on their televisions. But we have an opportunity to say it's not about being American, it's not about being British, it's about being in Christ. So we're so excited about the opportunity to love London. And we're here today to invite, uh, and to invite people to, to partnering with us in the gospel to say, would you like to do the work in London with us? Because when we're, uh, we're being sent by Ambassador Bible Church, we're not, we're no, we're not leaving Ambassador Bible Church. We're, we're becoming Ambassador Bible Church London campus. We're becoming the extension of the ministry that God has called our church to in a new place. We'd love to invite you to do the same. And this last um, slide is about co-mission. 
And co-mission is the church network with, with whom, and I apologize, the pictures got a little jumbled up and that was my fault this morning. I, sh- I should have sent it all at, at the right time. But co-mission is an enterprising church planting network that God has been growing in London since 2005. And co-mission is it's, it's a church network that reach global and our denomination has an official partnership with where all of our team members in London, all eight of those adults that you saw, are working in co-mission churches. One of, the, one of my favorite things about co-mission is that they are always and entirely about God's word, God's people, and God's spirit. That's the foundation of who they are. The foundation of who we are as believers is that we lean into God's word. We trust it as our final authority in all things. We lean into God's people. The gathering of God's people is vital to discipleship. And obviously God's spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which changes and renews us, as it says in Romans chapter 12. So we are excited to share with you a little bit. We, we plan to bring some English um, cookies. and what they, they don't call them cookies. They call them biscuits. Uh, but we forgot them on the kitchen table. So we, I hope you'll forgive us. Getting four boys out of the house is not an easy task. Um, we do have some tea bags. And it has a little QR code on it where you can sign up for our newsletter. We have our prayer cards in, um, out just outside the door as well. As, as well as what's called our prospectus. It answers the who the why, the what, the where, and, uh, it, and, and the with. And it gives you a little bit about what we've talked about today. And so we'd love for you to take those with you, to pray with us and for us. And uh, we want to invite you to partner with us in gospel ministry in London. Thank you. Let's get into God's word, shall we? 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I want to invite you to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I've had the honor of uh, serving at our church for over seven years now as the youth and college pastor. It's been about that long that I've known Pastor John from here at Warrington Bible Fellowship. It's been a joy to be a part of many gatherings with Pastor John, and I'm so grateful he's welcomed me to to fill in for him this week. I've, I've gotten to know him quite well. We gather regularly in something called a pastor cluster. So pastors from the EFCA in Maryland and Northern Virginia, they gather. And we have wonderful conversations. We, we learn a lot. I, as a younger pastor, I'm only in my early 30s, um, I, I'm able to gain so much wisdom from the other pastors in the room. And it's always been a real encouragement to me. Um, he had, but Pastor John has such a generous spirit. He's always been very kind and been a blessing to me. And I've always enjoyed our time together. This morning we're going to be taking a dive into the Apostle Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians. One of the most enriching and life-giving features of the Bible is that when we read the same passage again at a different time in our lives, it hits us completely differently based on the circumstances and the lens by which we're living our life at that time. So many of us in the room have probably read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 quite a few times. My hope and encouragement is that we'll look at it with fresh eyes this morning, that we will invite the Holy Spirit to not only indwell, but to illuminate us in his word. So as we, as we ask the Lord to do that, let's pray and ask God to speak to us from his word. Father, we give thanks for the glory of Jesus Christ, who died and rose again to forgive sins and to defeat death. Lord, it is in that hope that we gather 
It is because of this wonderful truth that we are even sitting and standing here today. Father, we give thanks that the opportunity before us is to honor your name. May we receive the words of the Apostle Paul. May we receive the scriptures. May they pierce our heart. May we be renewed and as we read, be sent out as ambassadors for the gospel this week. We love you, Lord, and ask you to be in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, have you ever, like I mentioned before, we get to read with fresh eyes. Have you ever uh, gotten to a point in your Bible where maybe you've written down some notes? And have you reread those notes and you thought, goodness, how in the world did I come to that conclusion as I read that verse? I think that happens to us. Maybe you read your notes and you think, that doesn't seem significant to me now, but I remember how important it was to me then. That happens to me a lot in a Bible that I own that I used a lot in college. I would open it up and I would find notes and I would think to myself, what was going through your brain at that moment? Why did you write that down? And yet God used it. When reading scripture today, I can't help but read things through the lens of my context. And I'm sure the same is true for many of you. Now, it's important that we do not read our situation into the text. We are often guilty of this, aren't we? We read, the book, we read the story of David and Goliath and we say, okay, I'm David. No, 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 no. We are not David, right? We're the Israelites hiding in the back and letting David go do the fight for us just as Christ did for us. Christ fought sin for us. We are not David. So we, we ought not to read our situation and say, what giants can I slay today? What giants has Christ slayed for us? So we ought not to read into the text, but we must search the text to teach us, mold us, shape us, and tell us what its intended meaning is. When we receive God's word, it is for us, yes, but not only for us. The apostle Paul wrote these words to someone, the church in Corinth. See, it was for them. It was in a spirit of love, but in a tone of discipline. Have you ever read the book of 1 Corinthians and thought, Wow, these people were really messed up, weren't they? This church really had a lot of issues to work through. Well, that's because for the last 2,000 years, there have been many churches with many of these same issues, and God used this opportunity to teach and teach and teach and renew minds and renew minds and renew minds. And we always had a resource to turn to. I'm so thankful for the book of 1 Corinthians. For chapter 11 alone, so we know how to operate in the Lord's Supper. For chapter 7 and how we ought to operate in a, in a marriage. And from chapter 12, how we ought to operate as a church, the body of Christ. So the purposes and intentions of Paul's letter should inform us on how to read the text and apply it. I want us to take great care this morning to do that. I don't want to confuse anything by reading our lives into it and applying the text. And I say this because for the last three years, we've been searching and looking. Okay, God, what are you doing in this time? And now that we're on the other side of it, we're on the other side of the pandemic, things have returned somewhat to normal and whatever normal is, who knows these days. But things are on the other side, but we're still reading the experiences of the last few years in our life into into our scripture, and we ought to remove ourselves from that. Do we not all read through different eyes than we did three years ago, five years ago, ten years ago, and it maybe ha has nothing to do with a pandemic? 
Maybe it has something to do with loss in your family, a change in your circumstances. Could be the politics or the cultural landscape, which are ever-changing, and yet God's truth never does. But how about that God has called us into something beautiful as his chosen people? King Solomon told us in Ecclesiastes 1 that there is nothing new under the sun, and the challenges that we face are also not new, but they're a, a different set of circumstances that precipitated them. So we as the church, we are a part of something that there's nothing new under the sun. The church has faced troubles and issues and trials for 2,000 years. For 2,000 years, beginning with persecutions, beginning with being cast into the lions in the Colosseum. Church has dealt with far greater and far more difficult things than we have. So we ought to ask ourselves some questions as we read 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'd like to start with a question. Who are we? Should be our next. Who are we? And we want to, when we ask a question, we want scripture to answer. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body through many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. So we see the picture of what, of what we are called, we're described as. We're not described as an organization, we're described as an organism, living, moving, and breathing together as a body. Let's skip down to verse 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Have you ever had a pain in your knee? Have you ever had a pain in your knee? I, I, I have uh, lower back problems. I, I, I had an injury in high school. I have a lower back issue and I have a, a, a nerve issue in my left leg. And let me tell you, when one part of my body hurts, all of me hurts. <laughs> It's not like you can just separate and cut off a little piece of it and say, all right, I don't have to deal with that issue anymore because the rest of me is fine. It's just this little part. No, it says when we suffer, we all suffer together. And when, we're, when one is honored, we all rejoice together. These few verses here center us back to our fundamental roles as individuals within the context of the whole, members of the body. We are responsible for our own actions Yet we are also accountable to, those act, to the actions of those around us in the community of faith. The left hand cannot go blaming the right hand because they are together and they're, they're, they're part of one body. We're accountable to each other and yet we are, we are responsible for our own actions. When we see ourselves as members of a body, it changes our perception of the impact that our life, our service, our attitude, and even our sin can make on those around us. The pain that is introduced does not affect just my, me, it affects everyone around me. How often have you come into contact with someone who has sworn off Christians altogether because of bad experiences or perceived hypocrisy? How can we blame them? We've seen it ourselves, haven't we? We've seen people profess Jesus on one side and on the other side of their mouth speak hypocrisy, speak evil, speak ill. 
Our actions positively, positively or negatively impact how the body of Christ is received all around the world. And so while I may be a still, uh, still committed follower of Jesus, I'm sure that my mistakes and habits have regularly and negatively impacted how others see my faith. And not just my faith, but the church as a whole. You see, we are members of one body, so if my finger offends, it affects the perception of me entirely. It's not, just, it's not about the finger, it's about the body. It's about the whole person. It's about the whole community. So we ought to see ourselves as responsible individuals, members of one. So I want to get to the answer of uh, who are we? And we look at verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. That's the answer. This is who we are as individuals and this is who we are together. Who are we? We are, and the next slide says, we are the embodiment of Christ. Christ is the what of the body? The head. We are the embodiment of Christ. The body here is actually a two-fold meaning. It's a word picture painted for us by Paul where he describes us as different parts symbolizing what? Our gifts, our strengths, our interests, and our abilities given to each of us. Um, God did not give me the gift of leading Sunday worship music. I'm so thankful that he gave others that ability because if it relied on me, we would be in big trouble. We would be singing the same three songs in the same key every single week and we'd just be doing this with my hand. Now, I had to do that a lot as a teenager, but I'm a pastor's kid, so I ended up leading music in high, in high school. I also taught Sunday school. I also ran the audio video board. I, also, I, was, I was multiple members of the same body, but I was big enough to handle it. But it symbolizes these different gifts, strengths, interests, and abilities. So what has God placed in you and on you where you can make a positive impact on the body? What good is a foot if the foot doesn't run? If the foot can't hold the weight? What good is a, is a hand if, that can't pick something up? Right? We are here to exercise the gifts, abilities, and interests that God has placed in and on us. So we see that one of the meanings is the embodiment of Christ in this age here. It hits the point home in verses 28 through 30. I'm not going to put those on the screen, but they're in there. If everyone, asking if everyone can do everything. Can you do everything? Are you... Everything to a church? No, we are, we are individually members of the body. I'm so thankful for people like Pastor John who knows what he does well and leans into it and calls others into filling those gaps and being a part of what God's called them to do. But the embodiment of Christ in this age is the working out by the power of the Holy Spirit of all these attributes. It's important that we must work together. Your service to the Lord is in and of itself a witness to the work of Christ in you and through you. Your service alone is gospel witness. Serving and loving people is gospel witness, whether that's in a place like London or in a place like Warrington. 
It could be in your home. It could be in your place of employment. It could be in the school that uh, your uh, kids or grandkids or people in your life they go to. They are the embodiment of Christ in those places and their service in Christ is the, is the uh, witness to the work. I'd love to share with you a, a little description of the church, if I, if I may. There's a, an English uh, pastor and his name is uh, John. And he described, a, he was going to um, fly somewhere, he's at an airport, and he sat down next to a woman. He's like, oh, is this, is this open? She says, yes, please, sit down. And um, they go through the normal thing that you normally do when you sit down in an airport. Oh, so where are you heading? Oh, yes, I'm heading here. And, uh, and she goes, well, he, he asks her first. He goes, well, what do you do? And she shares. I think she's going to go visit grandchildren in Australia. And uh, she was very excited about it. And then she turns the question. She goes, well, what do you do? And he goes, well, and he's a pastor. He, he says this. He says, I work for a global enterprise. She goes, really? Do you? Yes. He goes, we have outlets in every country in the world. Do you really? Yes, we do. We've got hospitals, hospices, homeless shelters, and feeding programs. Do you really? That is fantastic. He goes, we do marriage work orphanages, educational programs, and even funerals. Well, my goodness, that's amazing. We do all sorts of justice and reconciliation work. And as he names off all of these things, what he's doing, he's building up her expectations to to say, wow, this organization sounds fantastic. And he never said organization. He says, I work for a global enterprise. He said, basically, our enterprise looks after people from birth to death dealing in the area of behavioral alteration. And at this point, she is absolutely stunned and flabbergasted. She has to know, well, what is it that you do? Where do you work? He goes, the church. And she's taken aback. What do you mean the church? Is is this not what the church does all around the world? Did he not lay it out? Did he not spell out what the work of Christ has done in and through us and how that has compelled us and moved us and changed the world for the better? Is not the gospel of Christ a whole gospel? Is not the world ready to be redeemed to the Lord himself and in that beauty comes? The gospel of Christ is not just something we Ascent to in our heads. It is something that we believe, trust, hold on to, and then work. James calls us to work out in works our salvation. Not to earn the salvation, but that our salvation produces the works in us. So that we will run hospitals, hospices, orphanages, education programs, uh, feeding programs. So that we will go places to share the good news of the gospel. This is what it means to be the embodiment of Christ. This is what it means to be the hands and feet. This is what it means to be Jesus to the world around us. So we ask the question first, who are we? And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul tells us. So the next question is this, where have we gone wrong 
If all of this is true, and if this is the high calling God's placed on us, if this is who we are supposed to be, feels like we should be a little further along in some ways, doesn't it? So we ought to ask the question and self-assess, where have we gone wrong? And we aren't self-assessing, we're Bible-assessing. Let's see what God's Word tells us. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. We as Christians can get pretty loud about certain things, can't we? Because we believe in the truth, and the truth matters, doesn't it? Truth matters, not not subjective truth, objective truth. The truth of who God is and who he calls us to be matters. But we look at, uh, let's go to verse 2. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Paul is sharing with us the trap of power and influence. Have you ever turned on a TV and heard a smooth-talking pastor, a sharp-dressed one, who said what you needed for motivation and made you feel good about your life? We've all probably heard that. Paul, in verse 1, says that it is uh, is a worthless foundation without love. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. Some of you will get that. Some of you may not. But love, this is my favorite definition. I learned this from my dad a very long time ago. This This is, to me, this is the best way. Love is desiring the best for someone and acting on it. Love is not an emotion or a feeling. Love is not on a checklist. It is a desire of the best for someone. Does the best always mean acceptance? Love is not acceptance. They are not equal. Sometimes it includes acceptance, doesn't it? But it is not equal. Love is desiring the best for someone and acting on it. If I truly love you, I do and say what is best for you. My sons are young. And it may not feel loving for me to grab them by the arm and rip them out of the street as a car goes by because they feel like I hurt them. They feel like, but what was the most loving thing to do is to get them out of the way of that car coming by. I love them too much to not hurt them in that moment. And many of you as a parent will understand. I love you too much to let you. I love you too much to accept this choice. I love you too much. God says the same thing to us. I love you too much to let you, uh, be, let you be given over to the desires of your sinful heart. I love you too much in Christ. And when I give you the Holy Spirit and renew your mind. Paul continues in verse 2 with power, something that the church is often accused of seeking. The postmodern world may tell us that everything is about power and the shifting of it, but the biblical Christian tradition informs us and reminds us that that is simply not true. Not everything is about power. The Lord Jesus Christ embodied the beauty of love as power, but not power for gain, power for the sake of love. Jesus, the embodiment of love, the embodiment of power, here on earth was our example. 
Paul is reminding us that no matter how big your power is or how good you are at what you do, love is foundational for it to mean anything in eternity. Love that comes only from God himself, as we're reminded in 1 John chapter 4. So, we ask the question, where have we gone wrong? The answer, I believe, is this. I believe it tells us this in 1 Corinthians 13. It says this, we love to live instead of live to love. And that's the next slide. We love to live. Oh, I must not have put it in there. That's, that's on me. We love to live instead of live to love. What do I mean? What does it mean we love to live? It means I'm all about myself. It's all about me. I'm self-centered. I'm selfish. If I love to live, that's a good thing. We ought to love the life that God has given us, but we really love to live. I love my cup of coffee in the morning, don't, don't you? That, that ought to get an amen from somebody. Who doesn't love a... Come on now, I had a great cup of coffee this morning. 205 degrees, 30 grams, 16 ounces of water. It was fantastic. It was awesome. I love my cup of coffee in the morning. That's, that's one of the things that gets me out of bed in addition to my three-year-old. It usually goes three-year-old coffee. That's, those, that's, the, that's the order. But we love to live, and there's nothing wrong with enjoying that which God has given us. But we ought to live to love, to desire the best for those around us and act on those desires. And we can only desire the best for someone when we look at them the way Christ does. When we see them as Christ sees them. Whether that's the neighbor that gets on your nerves, or your wife or husband, or your child, or your coworker that you cannot stand, we are called to love them. And we ought to live to love them. Our lives ought to be pointed towards desiring the best for those for the sake of the gospel so that every name will know Jesus. So this leads us to our final question. What is the way forward for us? The title this morning was This is the Way. We've talked about who we are, talked about where we've gone wrong. Let's talk about what's the way forward. Chapter 13 and verse 4. Love is patient and kind. This is, the, this is the text we all hear in the, in the weddings. I made sure we didn't have this at my wedding. I was. But that doesn't make it any less special. Love is patient and kind. Does power and influence lead us to patience and kindness? No. Power and influence leads us to envy and boast. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. These four famous verses are almost exclusively heard at wedding ceremonies. But if we take a moment to consider that the bond of marriage, two people, one man, one woman, becoming one and, love, and the love required to maintain that bond, the bond of marriage is not that dissimilar to the bond of the body of Christ. Different people, sinful people, 
broken people, needing a savior, needing a redemption, needing to be made whole. Different people united to one cause as a picture for the gospel for the world to see. Marriage is a picture of Christ and his church, and the church is a picture of Christ, the embodiment of Christ on earth, to show the world that there is a better way. The way is love in truth. See, at no point did Paul call us to love and forsake the truth. It was in truth, love others. In truth, love others. I want to look at verse 4 again. It's patient, kind, is contrasted with envy or boast. Let's take a moment and reflect on our own attitudes, hearts, our own desires, our own actions this very week. Are they going to lean into patience and kindness or are we going to lean into envy and boasting? Verse 5 It does not insist on its own way. I think we as Christians, we get really stuck on this one, don't we? Because we like things a certain way. I don't know about you, but I really do. I like things a certain way. My second son is here, and uh, he's downstairs, or or no, he's in the the classroom, and um, I call him my Mr. Particular. His name is Crispin. We call him Chip. Chip is my Mr. Particular. He likes things a very specific way. You give him a sandwich and you cut it diagonal. I wanted it cut straight. You cut off the crust. I wanted the crust this time. He likes things very particular. And we do that with God and the circumstances in the church that he's given us. God, I didn't want church to be like this. I wanted it this way. Well... Love does not insist on its own way. Love insists on desiring the best for those around us and working towards it and acting on it. That's what God has called us to do in love. It is not irritable or resentful. How tempting is that? As I mentioned, I'm a pastor's kid. I've seen a lot of irritability and resentfulness in the church. And I've been a pastor for seven years now. I praise God it hasn't been as much the last seven years as it was for many of the years of my growing up. But we've seen it. We've seen the irritability and the resentfulness. And what is the root of all of this? What's the fruit of resentfulness come from? It comes from the root of selfishness and self-centeredness. Just as Paul's been attacking this whole text. It's not about me. It's about Christ and what he's done. And we'll go back to verse 6. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing and again rejoices with the truth. Where do we find truth? The final authority of all truth is here in God's word. We have God's church and we have our traditions and we have our ways of doing things. But first, foremost, and last is God's word is where we find our truth. We rejoice in the truth. That's what love really does. Love rejoices in truth. And so truth, as it reigns supreme for us, as God's word reigns supreme for us, as God's uh, testimony given to us, we really work out what it means to love someone, to desire the best, not just to accept everything. In 2023, this is highlighted for us isn't it? The world and the culture around us is bent on 
changing not just the definition of truth, but different truths that there are. The truth of marriage, family, the truth of who we are as people, as human beings, the truth of what God has done, the truth of the, of the salvation story, the truth of the history of God's people. The culture and the world around us, the postmodern world is bent on changing and distorting and, and removing all of that truth and calling it love. But we, as God's people, as the embodiment of Christ on earth, we know that the truth and love work together in perfect harmony. So we ask the question, what is the way forward? And I'd like to say that this is the way, and I'm taking this directly from verse 7. First is to bear all things. Hold fast to what is true and to one another. It's not either or. Hold fast to what is true and to one another. Bear each other's burdens because Jesus already bore our sin. So as we bear all things, we do not bear the weight or the burden of sin. We bear the issues of everyone around us. We bear each other's burdens. We carry the things that are going on because the world around us is sinful and broken. And there are going to be problems and issues just as we forgot the cookies on our kitchen table this morning. So please bear our burden with us and know that they would have been delicious. (laughs) Secondly, believe all things. And when it says believe all things, if you just take that, that out of the context of the 1 Corinthians 13, believe all things, oh great, that means everybody's right. That can't be true. Believe all things in Christ. Believe in Jesus Christ for the salvation from your sins first and foremost. My desire is that no one would walk out of the door of any door of this building this morning without knowing that Jesus died for them, Jesus loves them, and wants to have relationship with them. And that all it takes is a confession that Jesus is Lord and I place my faith and trust in him for eternity. Believe all things. Third, as the church, this is the way, as individuals and members of the body together, is to hope all things. Our hope rooted in Christ is a hope that will never leave you or fail you. We went through some tough times together these last few years. And there will be tough times ahead. But our hope is not in our circumstance. Our hope is not in our bank account. Our hope is not even in our breath. Because God could kill me tomorrow and my hope is forever in him. My hope is not in my sons or in my wife or in the mission God has called us to. My hope is Christ. Only Christ. Because anything less than is less than. Anything less than is not the fullness of who God has invited me to be. Jesus' resurrection is our hope. That is the all things that we hope in. So as the church, we are to bear, believe, hope, and endure all things. Endure together what you could not endure alone. Amen, church? Because we go through things, we experience things, and life is hard. We have a saying in our home, hard things are not bad things. Hard things are not bad things. They're just hard. And as we go through hard things together, it creates a bond more beautiful than easy days, more beautiful than everything going the way I wanted it to go. When we adore all things together, 
what we could not endure alone, we, we do it because of the love that is in us, as the Apostle Paul has talked us through. We love in truth. See, Jesus gives us an example of bearing all things by bearing our sins. He gives us an example of believing by calling us to believe in him. He gives us an example of hope by being resurrected from the dead. He gives us an example of endurance by enduring life and death to show us how to endure well. And he did not endure alone. He had people with him. And God has given us people as well in his church. So we have a blueprint in the life of Christ. We have a calling in the, words of the, in the words of the Apostle Paul. And so this is the way. Let's pray. Father, um, I am wholly inadequate. But you are everything. You cover mistakes. You cover sins in the blood of Christ. You cover my words, Lord, as long as they are yours. So God, may, may the people um, here this morning and watching online, may they not remember anything I said, but Lord, may they remember your words. May the gospel take root in us and compel us to love and truth. Send us out this week as ambassadors for the gospel, renewed in our spirit, ready to love well. In Jesus' name, amen. Is Amanda on the landing? Is she up here? Is she okay? Uh, Brothers and sisters, as we close this morning... We are indeed given the privilege of being able to support this family as they move into a dark place called London, England. Can you believe it? But that we are not just given the opportunity to, in a formal way, support those men and women who the Lord has called to his planet. But we are reminded as we do this that we are really bound to one another. The work we do here as a congregation is multiplied and expanded throughout God's world. Remember, this is his world, and he is coming to reclaim it. And we are going to be given the privilege of being with him when he does that, because we are trusting in the merit that Jesus generated for us on the cross. That's our only hope, right? So let's seal in our hearts and minds this beautiful family, Justin and Mammy and the boys, as they move to a place where maybe they speak the language and maybe they don't. Amen. <laughs> So God bless the family to keep those who are watching online, those in the big room with us. And may we be ambassadors here in Fauquier County as they will be in London. God bless the family to keep us all. Amen? Amen. Pastor John back here again. If you are blessed by the service, let me ask you to do us a favor. Would you click on the like button below that little thumbs up? If you're listening on sermon audio, perhaps you can comment or even share the sermon with someone else. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter at WBFVA. We're on the World Wide Web at WBFVA.org. Let us know if you'd like us to pray for you. If you'd like to support us financially, 
You can make donations through our website at wbfva.org. Just click on giving. You'll receive a tax-deductible receipt at the end of the year. Either way, we would love to hear from you or even have you visit us in person one Sunday. We meet at 46 Winchester Street in downtown Warrington, Virginia at 11 o'clock every Sunday morning. And now, may God bless you richly until we gather again.